Welcome to Voice of Thunder. We're continuing today in our discussion about the law and gospel. How does the old covenant law given by Moses on Mount Sinai, how does that relate to being a New Testament Christian? Are we under, is, is any of the law preserved? Any of its authority, any of it continue onto the Christian life or onto the, the Christian? And, and we're going to talk today about the viewpoint or the position of the preservationist. This is somebody who says, I believe that the authority of the law in some way continues onto the Christian today. Okay, So this is a preservationist position. Now you need to know on the upfront, this is an old position. Okay, this is an old argument. This has been going on since the Reformation between Calvin and Luther. This is an old argument. Lots of discussion back and forth. And there are even different viewpoints within the preservationist position. There, we're going to talk about two today. There might be more, but we're going to talk about two. One is the theonomist. And the second, I'm just going to call the moralist. Okay, so theonomist and moralist. These are my made-up terms. There might be a technical name for them. I don't know them. Theonomist and moralist that's underneath the umbrella of the preservationist camp. That law and some authority in some way continues and is preserved to this very day. Okay? The way that we're going to walk through this today is we're going to talk about three things. We're going to talk about number one, the thesis. We're going to talk about the thesis of the preservationist. Number two, we're going to talk about the passages that support their teaching. And number three, just a couple questions, kind of question and answer that you might have for the preservationist. Okay, so those three things is what we're going to cover today. So I want to read you. I, I want to fairly represent their position. Okay, I don't want to misuse it or, or abuse it. I want to have a, a fair representation of what they actually believe. Right? We don't want to fight straw men. We don't want to be unfaithful and, and characterize them the wrong way. So we're going to, I want to give you their definition of what they believe. Okay, so this is the first the first definition I want to read to you. This is the moralist position. This is actually probably the most common position today. Okay? There's a second position we're going to talk about in a minute that is less common, but it's growing in popularity. Okay? So I'm going to read you this. That the moralist, or the, the preservationist, insists that the moral law, that is the Ten Commandments, remain in force... While the ceremonial and, catch this, civil laws of the Old Covenant are now obsolete along with that covenant itself. So, what they're saying is, look, you have the law as a whole, and you can divide it up into three different sections. Okay? And, and, and the, both the moralist and the theonomist hold to these three different distinctions. These three different categories or, or ways that you section this thing up. Just like you go section up a... Uh, you know, you got a tenderloin on a cow. You got you got this part, that part. These are the three sections they would say that make up the law: the civil, moral, and ceremonial laws. Okay, they would say that the moral law remains in force while the ceremonial and civil laws of the old covenant are now obsolete, along with the covenant itself. And that is Michael Horton, who I'm quoting, a pretty well-known scholar. Okay, so that's the moralist preservationist position, okay? Now I'm going to read you the theonomist position. This is by Greg Bonson. He's one of the, the guys, I read the book called Five Views on the Law. He is one of the scholars that contributed to that, and he is a theonomist. Okay, again, he's still a preservationist, but just a little bit different. We should presume 
He says that the Old Testament standing laws continue to be morally binding in the New Testament unless they are rescinded or modified by further revelation. So notice what he, did you catch what he said there? It's different than the, than, than the moralist. The moralist says, hey, the moral law, specifically the Ten Commandments, that remains, that's universal throughout time. That's the moralist preservationist. Now this is, but Greg Bonson and the theonomist is different. Okay, like I said, there's two camps. One camp is a moralist, one's a theonomist. Theonomist, Greg Bonson, says that the Old Testament laws that we should see as morally binding in the New Testament catch this unless they are rescinded or modified by further revelation. So, praise God, Greg Bonson would say, praise God, Jesus came along and said, you can eat bacon now. Okay, he, by, by giving a new command, he abolished an old one. He crossed out the old command by putting a new command in its place. All right? So that's what he's saying. He said, unless there is some command in the New Testament that overrides or replaces an old, the old covenant laws given by Moses on Mount Sinai should remain. So these two camps, these two different perspectives are out there. And we're going to work our way through it as we go through this discussion. But I want you to see those two camps in your mind. One is the moralist, and the moralist wants to keep the Ten Commandments. That's their heart. I want to keep the Ten Commandments as the moral law. On the other camp, there's a theonomist. The theonomist says, I'm going to keep the civil law and the moral law, but we're kicking out the ceremonial laws. Okay? So what does this mean? What's, what's the distinction? You know, so, so, uh, those are the two camps. And the reason for why the theonomist wants to do that is because they see how dark and, and nasty this world has got, and they want to keep the civil laws and try to push the government and try to push authorities to push righteousness. Okay? So that's their thesis. That's the that's, that's, that's two theses of the two different camps. Okay? Also, I, I want to add to this. They also, this is, this, there's an old distinction of how you use the law. So we've talked about what they believe about the thesis, but how is a law to be used? And they traditionally there have been three uses for the law. Okay? The first is the law is a mirror of sin, mirror of our sin. It shows us our evil. It condemns us. Right? And then by that condemnation it leads us to Christ. And that's something that most most everybody agrees on, even if you're not a preservationist, you're like, yeah. The law condemns me and makes me feel my need for Jesus. Number two, talk about the three uses of the law. Okay, the restraint of evil. The law is given to restrain evil. All right, this is something that everybody has a conscience. Right, everybody has that conscience on their heart. Even if you are a a a lost sinner, you still have the law. Written on your heart in some way. It's, 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 it's the conscience that God has given everybody. Okay? This is, this is Romans 2. This is basic. This is, this is basic Bible Christianity. Romans 2. There's, there's nobody going to get to heaven and say, I didn't know. No. Romans 1 and 2 is pretty plain. When you get to heaven, you're going to know that, number one, there was a God. Number two, He had certain requirements of you. And number three, you failed to live up to them. Okay? That, that's... That's... That's the restraint of evil they're talking about here. Again, we're talking about the three uses of a law. How is a law used by the Lord and in the Bible and in life? Okay, number three. This is this is the this is the the argument. This is what the preservation the preservationist wants to keep. Number three, and the law is a revelation of the will of God. 
Okay, they would argue that it reveals the commands of God that Christians are to obey. That there are certain, again, we're preserving part pieces of the law. Again, you have the moralist who wants to keep the Ten Commandments, and you have the theonomist who wants to keep the civil law, and who wants to keep the, the moral law. But the reason for that, both camps, the reason why they would say they want that, is because they believe it is a revelation of the will of God. It reveals God's commands. Again, I am not supporting this one way or another. I'm not against it or for it. I'm just telling you what they believe. We're trying to give you a fair perspective of what these people believe. Now, number two, we're going to move on. We talked about, number one, the thesis, their thesis, their view. And now we're going to move on, number two, to some passages. Okay? Some passages that they use to support this. This is not as cut and dry as you think. If you've studied through the book, uh, books of Paul, you, you probably are thinking, man, I, I, don't, I don't know how they can support this view. How they can support this, this idea, this thesis. Okay? This passage right here, I'm about to read to you. Is their strongest passage. And I'll tell you, this is actually the reason I got into this discussion and began to look into this in the first place. Because I was reading, I've, I've read through Paul a lot. I, I've studied the epistles a lot. I've written thousands of words about Paul and studying Paul. I, 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 you can quote me a passage, and most of the time I can tell you where it's at. But I really started getting into the book of Matthew and studying it, and this is the passage that floored me and got me in that discussion. It's their strongest passage. Matthew 5.17 to 519. So chapter 5, verse 17 through 19. Think not that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. This is Jesus talking his sermon on the mount. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, not one jot or one tittle shall pass from the law. Till all be fulfilled. Okay? So he's giving you a date. Heaven and earth is not going to pass away. Heaven and earth, that is the end of time. That's the coming of Christ. Now verse 19, this is the verse. Most people stop reading. Like if you go Google this and you look up other perspectives, most people stop reading at verse 18. But it's really verse 19 where the debate gets hot. Verse 19. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do, catch this, do and teach them. Do and teach what? The law. The same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. He is talking about the law. He's not passing, the law is not passing away until heaven and earth pass away. Alright? And you shall, you should do them and teach them. Alright? That's their strongest passage. Another passage that they would argue and use is Romans chapter 7, verse 7. I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the lost had said, Thou shalt not covet. Notice he is quoting from the Ten Commandments, it seems. And he's saying, look, I don't even know what sin is, unless the law told me, don't covet. So, again, the preservationists would say, now look, here, here it is. It continues. The law continues. He, he's saying, I wouldn't even know what sin is. The law, then, is my source of knowledge of sin. Okay, Hebrews 8.10, this is the last passage we'll look at. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. They would argue that that law written on their hearts of all Christians is the Old Testament law. The moral parts of it, or if you're a theonomist, the civil parts of it too. All right? Now there are other passages they use. and I've studied all of them. Another passage that they commonly quote would be 1 Timothy. You know, the, the lawful use of the law. 
But really, these are the strong, I, I feel, are the strongest passages in their support. Go look them up. Go see what you think of them. Now, maybe you have a couple questions. We're moving on now to the third thing, the question and answer section. Why separate the Ten Commandments from the rest of the law? Maybe you're talking to the, the preservationist moralist. Why are you separating? And you could ask the theonomist the same question, really. Why are you separating the Ten Commandments from the rest of the law? Why, why are you doing that? And this is how they would respond. They would say the Ten Commandments were placed in the Ark of the Covenant, whereas the rest of the law was not. So that shows it's special. They would also respond by saying that the headings and outline of Exodus 20, uh, which is the Ten Commandments, Exodus 21 to 23, that's the judgments, show that there's a special privilege given to the Ten Commandments. That, that, that even the headings and the way that the book of Exodus d- breaks these apart shows that there's a special relationship between the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law. And then they would also respond, this is the last way they would respond to that question, they would say also that there are general commands, these, these laws, or excuse me, these ten commandments, these are general commands given without regard to any social context. Basically they're saying, look, these are universal. Don't kill is universal. doesn't matter if you are wearing sandals and, and, and a robe or you're wearing khakis and, and a pair of Nikes, it's irrelevant. This is a universal command, it's, it's not related to t- any time period, it is universal. But the rest of the commands of the Old Covenant are, are actually case studies or, or applying these ten rules, these ten commandments to Old Testament Israel. Okay? So that's how they would respond. That's why they say there's a special relationship and a special favor given to the ten commandments. Okay? There are other arguments they could respond with, and there's, there's other ones out there. But these, these were, the, again, the strongest responses I could come up with that question. Uh, maybe you have another question. What about the civil law? Why, why would you see the civil law as passing away? Why is that part specifically passed? And, and I believe that they would respond by saying that the uh, civil law, the, the moralist, you know, the moralist preservationists would say that, look, the, the, the civil law was given to a certain people. It was given to the nation of Israel at a certain time in that covenant, underneath that covenant. But now that that covenant has passed away and that nation has passed, that commandment is not relevant anymore. So that's why the civil, they would say the civil law has passed away. Of course, the theonomist would not respond that way. And the theonomist would say, no, it continues, it's not the exact same because we have a modern context, we're trying to apply, apply the principles to our modern context. Not necessarily the commands themselves, but the principles behind them. And, and, and that's what we're going to apply to our modern context. That's the preservationist position, containing two different viewpoints within that position. Two different camps, the, what we're going to call the moralist, again these are my made up terms, the moralist and the theonomist. Okay? We will continue next week, we're going to talk about the, 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 those who believe that the law has ended. And then after that, we'll kind of have another podcast where we kind of sum everything up. I hope this is helpful. God bless.